0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: of Parenting Your Challenging Child for 2020. Welcome to 2020. Also welcome to our, um, my co-hosts, Kim Hopkins-Betz, Betts, is our Director of Outreach at Lives in the Balance. Kim, how are you?
2: Doing well, thanks. How are you?
1: I am well. I would welcome Jennifer to the program, but I think I just deleted her, so she... Um, may have to call back in. There she is. Jennifer, Jennifer is that you? I'm,
0: I'm here. <laughs> yes.
1: Well, um, welcome, and Happy New Year to both of you. To um, you, too. Let me give the call-in numbers, as we always do, 347-994-2981. Press 1 when you call in, and um, you can talk to us live if you have any um tales to tell about uh, the holidays or um, just dealing with life in general with a child with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges. Um, Anything that either of you would like to start with today?
2: (laughs) Kim? I'm thinking. um, I don't think that anything's come to mind except that I know the holidays were rough for a lot of folks in the B team. We saw that. Um, yes. Yeah. No, I don't think I have anything specific,
0: Jennifer. Okay. Well, I I was asked in the B team um, in a conversation that we were having about examining expectations. Someone said, "Can you guys talk on the radio show about how you know if your expectation is realistic or not?" <laughs> is reasonable. So I said, sure, I, I can bring that up. <laughs> yeah.
1: Let's talk about that, because that's, that's, that's confusing for a lot of people. Um, hmm. And it's not so uncomplicated. It's kind of complex. Um, you know, there's a few different reference points for that. I'd be interested in hearing what both of you have to say about that, but you know, one reference point that is commonly used is what is every other kid of the same age doing? But I tend not to <laughs> that, love that.
0: That hasn't worked point. so well for us. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> number one,
1: everybody else's kid is everybody else's kid. But number two, everybody else's kid is different than your kid. And so I'm not exactly sure why we think that what other kids can do is the same thing as what your kid can do. Um, So that's always interesting. Yes. Um, Quite frankly, it feels to me like the only reference point. But this is also where it gets interesting: is what can your kid do? What is what expectations? Is your kid capable of meeting reliably? Um, And that's where it gets tricky because it's, quite frankly, a judgment call. (laughs) The good news is kids do well if they can. That's the good news. Because if kids do well if they can is our reference point and the follow-up mantra, which is, doing well is preferable, then the conclusion I usually come to is that if this kid could meet this expectation, this kid would be meeting this expectation. If he's not meeting this expectation, something must be getting in his way. And that's the line of thinking that I follow where, where I think life gets interesting is where we don't have kids do well-if-they-can lenses on. And we come up with all kinds of explanations for why a kid isn't meeting a particular expectation. I mean, Some expectations we would never put on a kid. We don't expect, in most places, a four-year-old to drive a car. People would say that's ludicrous, but that's right. But the reality is there are some 18-year-olds who um, maybe aren't ready to drive a car yet either. What is that? The judgment call. Um, how are we what, – on what basis are we coming to that judgment? Knowing the kid and what we think they're able to do and whether they, we think they're ready to meet that expectation yet. Just because a state says that at the age of 15, a kid can learn to drive doesn't mean every kid is ready to learn to drive at the age of 15. So it kind of comes down to knowing your kid and knowing what your kid is able to do. I think you're always trying to reach for expectations that are just within your kid's reach. And it's okay to have high standards and it's okay to have high expectations as long as you know what to do when a kid is having difficulty meeting your expectations, but especially what to think. What are you thinking? Kids do all if they can. If he could do well, he would do well. Doing well is preferable. I wonder what's making it difficult for him to meet this expectation, even though I know a lot of other kids are meeting it. There's my take. There's no hard and fast algorithm, but I think kids do all if they can is a very good guidepost. What are your
0: thoughts, I think we're, everyone's waiting for someone else to speak. <laughs> um, and I don't want to talk first. over you. You go first. <laughs> I, I think that, that for me, if someone can't meet an expectation, then, you know, is it reasonable? And we, we talk about is it reasonable. But the truth is that if you can't meet an expectation, then perhaps it's not a reasonable expectation. Um, but further than that, because, you know, people say, but it is a reasonable expectation. It's reasonable for me to expect that trash goes in the trash can. I say, okay, what's what's your reasoning behind that expectation? What are the concerns that that expectation brings up for you if it's not being met? And I think that it all comes down to the idea of knowing if you're going to pursue plan B with something, with this particular issue, defining your concerns before you start that conversation, because if your concerns are real, then it's, Or not real, but if your concerns are reasonable, then your expectation is more likely to be reasonable and it's more likely to be something that you want to pursue plan being then. If your concerns are more around things like, well, all the other kids his age can do it or my husband expects that he's going to be able to do it, even though I recognize that he isn't going to be able to do it, or my neighbors give me dirty looks when he doesn't do it, then it becomes a little less, a little harder to justify that expectation as reasonable when you're, concerns are more based on how other people are perceiving it than, how, than something a little more concrete, if that makes sense?
1: It does. My only question about that is this. somebody's still left out of that equation. Let's say somebody has reasonable reasons for expecting the trash should be taken out.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and um, let's say that they're very reasonable. That still doesn't mean that the kid who they expect to take the trash out can do it reliably. So for me, it still comes down to, and I I agree with you, you don't want to have to worry too much about what other people are thinking. That said, if the neighbors are going to be upset that the trash is stinking and uh, being blown all over their yard, I would actually call that a legitimate concern. You don't want to be inconsiderate to neighbors.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I guess my attitude is, yes, there are concerns about that that um, are more valid than others. But it still yeah. comes down to this kid who we are expecting to reliably take out the trash. Kenny. Kenny. Can he reliably do that? that? There are kids that I've worked with, there are kids that I know who aren't going to be reliably taking out the trash. Um, and so um, to me, that is what it ultimately comes down to in the final analysis. Can this kid meet this expectation reliably? If the answer is no, it doesn't matter how valid your concerns are. He ain't doing it. It's not a realistic <laughs> expectation.
2: But I, I and, guess oh. that
0: if, if you feel like your expectation is reasonable, then you're more likely to pursue plan b that, saying, hey, you know, I, I, we've talked about your taking out the trash. I noticed that it isn't happening. Let's talk about that. Um, <laughs> And you might, at the end of that conversation, then decide that it's not a reasonable expectation and you might drop it.
1: Once you hear but what's making it difficult once you hear for the, the kid to meet that expectation.
0: Right. But I, the, the, and this is perhaps, you know, my not sharing enough of the context, the conversation Hmm. that we were having in the B team was, you know, before you start your plan B, how do you know if it's a reasonable expectation to even plan B? Uh, So that was where my thought process was coming from. Um, Because it might be a reasonable expectation to plan B, and then you get into that plan B and discover that It's not really something that you want to tackle right now at all and back off of it.
1: Yes. In the context of plan B, based on what you hear from the child about what's making it hard for him or her to meet that expectation, Mm -hmm. it is definitely not uncommon for the caregiver to decide, I'm not even sure I should have this expectation. Given what I'm hearing, I'm not even Mm -hmm. sure I should have it. That's, that's one potential scenario. The other potential yeah. scenario is that even before you go into plan B, you're saying, given what I know about this kid, mm-hmm. um, given what I know about his capabilities, given what I know about how he's handled such things in the past, mm-hmm. this is an expectation I've decided consciously and deliberately not to place upon this kid at this point in his development. Right. I would call that a pre-Plan B decision based on your (laughs) knowledge of the kid.
2: Yes. I would also add that the judgment call piece that you spoke about, um, I think, boils down to impact as well. You know, how impactful Mm -hmm. is this unsolved problem in the life of this kid and in the life of our family? And there are worries that drive that expectation, as Jennifer pointed out. So we might need to pursue those worries through plan B and know on the other side of it, the expectation might be adjusted. Um, One that I talk about a lot that in my early days of learning this helped me to really highlight um, a lot, uh, a lot of nuance about the plan Would have to do with the expectation you must brush your teeth twice a day. And to me, This is a long time ago. I held on to that pretty fiercely. Like, that is incredibly important. There's a huge impact if it doesn't happen, right? And then, you know, this was back in residential care. The kids weren't doing it, and I'm not going to hold them down and force them to do it. So, but the impact I was worried about, you know, because we have where other people's kids are in our care. That's a very serious thing, and they're going to have health problems if this continues. So, we did pursue our worries about, you know, oral hygiene and health problems and dentists might be doing bigger, scarier things if we're not keeping up here. And then the solutions that we came to based on what the kids' concerns were, which were very valid, right? And it was mostly around sensory stuff with toothpaste and toothbrush feel and all of that, were completely different from you must brush your teeth twice a day, but yet took care of our worries about oral mm-hmm. hygiene and dentists being expensive and all of that and health stuff. And so through that, our expectation adjusted based on what we learned from the kid, and yet our worries still got met. So anyhow, that's what what came to mind for me about this question.
1: So what you're saying is there are kids who you did not think were going to be brushing their teeth twice a day independently in this lifetime or at least for the foreseeable future, but you still felt that your concerns were important enough related to oral hygiene to do plan B on the issue because you felt like that was one that you just could not let slide. Yeah. Love it. Mm -hmm. I think the independently piece is a big piece because let's say the expectation is that a kid take out the trash independently. That's separate from the trash has to go out. That's separate from the neighbors are going to get irritated if the trash stinks and gets blown all over their yard. But that's us sitting back and saying, can he really do this independently? Now, that wouldn't stop me from doing plan B. It's consideration in deciding whether the expectation is truly realistic. But even if you can't do it independently, that doesn't necessarily rule out plan B as an option. It just means you're going into plan B with an open mind about what trash taking out could look like. And that's a big piece of this too. Sometimes adults have this preordained vision of what it's going to look like. And that's what it's got to look like. And then they're not even doing plan B. And often, and I see this happen a lot, I would say this is one of the biggest mistakes I see adults making with kids, is putting expectations on kids that they actually can't meet. Doesn't mean you can't do plan B to find out so once again, there's two timing two timing options here. Decide it right up front. Don't even do plan B. No point we're dropping that expectation. Or do plan B and find out what's getting in the kid's way and then decide is this really one that we should be pursuing with this kid right now.
0: Hmm. And Wise words. you remi- you reminded me, Doctor Green, that that after after your keynote three summits ago, <laughs> when well, you've got a better memory word, than I do. Uh, <laughs> see, your words stick, uh, but you were when you were talking about Plan B. For the world and mm. the skills that that we 're missing in life, um, I had a conversation after that with someone because they said, "Well, that doesn't work in in the context of politics or government or and I said, "Well, I work in a government job, <laughs> and I use Plan B in my office a lot." And it prompted a conversation about the difference between compromise and collaboration. And we said at the end of it that in compromise, everybody comes to the table with their solutions and they decide what they're willing to give up, what, they're, what they absolutely have to have, and how much of that there's wiggle room in so that Everybody sacrifices something, and nobody leaves truly happy. But with collaboration, everyone comes to the table with their concerns, not their solutions, with their concerns, and they discuss together how do we meet all of these concerns and find a solution that works for all of us. And if you can do that, you can come away from it with everybody feeling happy. And for someone who has had that lens change and embraced CPS, it's a concept that makes a lot of sense. For someone who hasn't had that lens change yet, it was kind of astonishing, like, wait, you're right, that makes sense. Oh, well, when you put it that way, (laughs) it was really interesting to watch. Mm -hmm.
1: Any additional thoughts on this question? We have two emails here that we could respond to, both of which I would like to see if we can get to today.
0: Great. Sure. Are we ready? Yep.
1: Whoops, I just... I just signed out. (laughs) Hang on one second. What is my deal these days? All right. Here we go. Um, First, uh, I've read The Explosive Child, and I often listen to your radio program or any other interviews I can find on YouTube. I believe in the very human approach of CPS and trying to apply it with my son. My son has been diagnosed with ADHD and ODD, 12-year-old boy, and we have been in therapy, medication changes, IEPs, since the age of five. So far, the CPS approach has been the only one that's been working. It is still challenging, and many people, including my son's father, question my approach. They find I give too much power to my son and no structure. He is the boss. I believe in collaborating and choosing battles. My husband and I have been separated for over five years now. We have shared custody. We do not have the same approach in dealing with matters. The most recent situation with my son is the cell electronic device attraction. My son is, spends most of his time on the phone, social media, YouTube, and so on. He is chatting with his friends or gaming. If we remove the phone, it does escalate, aggression, verbal abuse. The doctor told me to remove the phone during weekdays. Okay, so that's not collaborative. I'm just adding my own comments here as we go. (laughs) Actually, I could have added a few comments earlier, but I didn't. And to reduce the usage on the weekend. I told her that I do not want to remove the phone. I would like to find a way to collaborate on the usage. Um, It is not currently working, but I'm not giving up. His father believes we should take away the phone and that I am being weak. More editorial comment here. You're not being weak when you're doing plan B. Remember, plan A was, isn't working very well either. The doctor compared it to heroin, and my son's father is now stating that I am encouraging this addiction. I must say I do have concerns, and I'm starting to doubt the approach. Um, that I'm applying for this problem. However, I I do believe that my son will need to learn how to manage the phone gaming attraction as he will face daily these devices in his life. They will not go away. I also don't want him to feel that his interests are not respected. I need your guidance on this. I have a professional telling me that it is time to remove the phone. The father agrees, and several articles are encouraging me to do that. I still feel it would be wrong to confiscate the phone what do you recommend with the approach that I am trying to implement? All right, here we go. Um, Just a few nitpicky things before we get into the meat of it. Um, CPS does not mean you are giving too much power to your son. CPS does not mean there's no structure. CPS is actually very structured. CPS does not mean that your son is the boss. And I know that that's what this mom is saying, other people are saying about her. None of those things are true. Um, CPS is hard. Solving problems collaboratively and proactively can be messy. Um, plan A is messy too, so I don't feel real bad about Plan B being a little bit messy. Uh, It's kind of pick your messy. Do you want to go through the messy that's involved and trying to solve difficult problems together? Do you want to go through the messy that is involved when you are being unilateral and your child is losing his mind as a result? Either way, you got messy. Either way, this is a difficult problem to solve. Either way. Um, But this is a very common one that people do plan B on. Um, What I'm missing, though, I've I've got the unsolved problem. Actually, I don't even have the precise wording of the unsolved problem because I don't know exactly how much time the caregivers think the kid should be spending on the phone daily. So I'm not positive that we even have a clear expectation here. And of course, to do plan B on this, you would need to have a clear expectation that a kid is having difficulty meeting. So the first thing I might do is try to get some sense of, well, what is the expectation? Not phone or no phone, although that's the way it's being set up here. How much time does the mom feel is reasonable for this 12-year-old to spend on his phone daily? And that's your starting point. Got to start with an expectation. Now we can word the unsolved problem, difficulty limiting your phone use to X minutes or X hours a day. So one possible reason that we're not making headway on this is because we're not starting, and this is a very common issue, that the the wording of the unsolved problem isn't there yet because we're not yet clear on what our expectations are. What's missing from this email, the the part that I'm having trouble with and making it difficult to respond to, is the fact that um, I don't know what the kids' concerns are. I'm actually not exactly clear what the adults' concerns are, and those are the parameters. If we don't know those two things, then we're never going to come up with a solution that addresses the concerns of both parties. So I'm a little stuck. I'm happy for the mom to write us back and tell us what she's hearing in the apathy step from her son about what's hard for him, about limiting his phone uses to X minutes or X hours a day. Without that, hard for any of us to guide her on what to do next. That is what to do next. What are his concerns? What are her expectations? What are his concerns? What are her concerns? Um, what is he telling us about why it's hard for him to limit his phone usage to X minutes or X hours a day? And what are her concerns? How is it affecting him? How is it affecting others? What we do know from this email is that um, she and her um, now-separated husband don't agree and that she's got a therapist recommending that she do plan A on this issue. And yeah, you can find people who've written about this issue telling her to do plan A. Um, I never do plan A on this issue. Um, there are actually kids out there who, they're in, who, who wouldn't have a social life if it wasn't for their phone. So this is not sort of a one-size-fits-all issue, but it's one that we've had success on with plan B. Admittedly, it's a difficult one, But that's the missing information. What's making it hard for him to limit his phone usage? What are her concerns related to how it's affecting him and how it's affecting others related to the fact that he's having difficulty limiting his phone usage? Then we've got the raw material that we need to start thinking of solutions. So um, those are the things I would sort of tighten up. Then I'd start thinking about why is this not working beyond that? But I'm betting that you both have some ideas on this too. (laughs)
0: well yeah and
2: it sounds like you know in a parallel process or even perhaps a step before that is talking with the co-parent and I don't know if she wants to go back to the doctor to talk about this but you know the the sense that she's giving up too much power I, I like to talk to people about how plan b first of all you can't give up your power as the parent you have it it's yours to keep no matter what you do right? It's just using it differently. It's using your authority and your power differently. Um, And so it's not putting it aside or pretending you don't have it or anything like that uh, or giving it up because that's not even possible. And so, you know, um, kind of exploring that. And the notion about plan B being weak or that she's being weak because she's trying to collaborate, um, as you've already talked about, collaboration is really, really hard. In fact, it's often feels like the harder choice of between plan a and plan b um and so i don't think it's it's weak at all it takes a lot of strength and energy and you know um thought process that goes into that and being able to hold the conversation and you know uh not having it all nice and neatly wrapped up in one conversation all that that takes a lot of strength and being committed to not blowing up her relationship with her son over this really important issue um, takes a lot of strength as well. Um, so I, I did just want to mention that. And then the other thing that I sort of stuck out to me, we, and I looked it up real quick, we did a podcast about that word addiction when it's applied to screens back on March 5th of 2019 that um, we talk, You talked about, Dr. Green, the semantics of that word addiction as it is applied to screen, and then it basically just means that this is a really serious unsolved problem <laughs> and there might be some really <laughs> serious concerns behind it, but to sort of take some of that sting that that word addiction comes with that might be slowing this parent down in her very hard, very messy, but very important pursuit of um you know, parenting collaboratively, so those
1: were some of my thoughts.
0: Excellent <laughs> you know, when any other I was a when I was a kid, I was a voracious reader. Um, I didn't have electronics the way that they exist now, but uh, my mom signed me up for Sports Club when I was in about fourth grade. And after the second week of sports club, the woman who was running it walked me back to the car and handed my mother a check for, the, for a prorated balance of the cost <laughs> of sports club and said, save your money. Jennifer can't, can't do this. And my mother said, what do you mean she can't do this? And she said, it's just not where she wants to be. I brought my book with me, and in between my turn, in whatever sport it was we were playing, I was reading on the sidelines. (laughs) And they had to remind me to put my book down every time it was my turn. That's great. So... that was my last sports club day (laughs) and I laugh when people talk about addiction and electronics because I think of me being so intent on getting to the next chapter in my book that I was bringing it with me everywhere I went and completely distracted and reading and now most parents these days would be thrilled if their child was taking a book with them everywhere and instead is complaining about their looking at their phones all the time. Uh, so addiction is is it's one of those things where when I hear it applied like this, I know that there are some people who really truly do have a problem that goes to that level, but I think that it's used so widely that, people have sort of watered down what addiction really is in a lot of ways in terms of electronics. My son is on his computer a lot, uh, more than most people would probably think was appropriate. But it's, as Dr. Green said, it's very much his social life in a lot of ways. Uh, And at one point, my husband and I had a disagreement about him being on it. And I believe that the words, you're coddling him, might have been part of that conversation. (laughs) Um, But I went and I talked with my son. And I said to him, why do you want to spend so much time on here? What is it about being on the computer that draws you in and he said to me it's one of the only things that brings me joy and I said all right well what are the other things that bring you joy and he listed off a couple one of them was skiing one of them was uh, mountain biking up in Vermont Uh, You know, there were a couple other things, but none of them were things that he could do independently without someone else driving him there or other people being a part of it or someone, you know, money being involved. The only one that he could do reliably on his own was play with the computer. So I said to my husband afterwards, I don't think that the way that we deal with that is by taking away the one thing that gives him joy that he can do on his own I think that the way that we deal with that is by helping him as we can to find other things that also bring him joy so that he can choose between them right now he doesn't have any other choices so as you're reading the email from this mom, I'm hearing not so much how do I plan B this, but can it be plan B? And the answer is yes, it can be. Um, it requires a little bit of recognizing that people are going to look at you like you're crazy and tell you that you're coddling your child and question your your thought process, but the nice thing about it is that those people around you, if you stick with it, even though it's hard and even though there are times where it just doesn't seem worth it, those people will all stop questioning you when it starts working. I no longer am told I'm coddling anyone, not even by my mom who told told me in the beginning that she thought that CPS was a cult. <laughs> but uh she she got over that when she saw it start to work. She even read parts of the book. <laughs> so
1: good for her, for being open minded.
0: Yeah. Yes. So that's my thought Let's on it. Let's see if we could. I love it. Let's
1: squeeze in one more here because I think We can do this one in the six minutes that we have left. So first of all, we hope that's been helpful to the mom who emailed us. And um, you always have the option of calling in on the next radio program if that didn't get you all the way there or emailing us again. But here's the second one. I've been reading and listening to your materials and filling out the sheet. Our 15-year-old was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and opposition defiant disorder. Love that you don't want us focusing on the diagnosis as it's clear she needs to build skills. One lagging skill, the one lagging skill that creates the most trouble for her is difficulty considering the likely outcomes or consequences of actions. When I list the examples, and I think um, the mom here means unsolved problems, I notice that all the items are things her dad and I told her not to do. Um, She doesn't do these things at school. All of them resulted in negative consequences for her, natural and through us. There are some of the examples. Buying piercing kits and piercing each ear 10 times. Uh, Infections. Um, Getting people to get her, here we go again, secondary phones. Um, Using birth control pills to not have a period, resulting in a month of bleeding. Um, Organizing a party with drugs and alcohol. Um, Buying a tattoo kit, giving herself and her boyfriend tattoos. Now the mom is asking, and here's the big question. Am I incorrect in the lagging skill? Is it more difficulty expressing needs in words that she acts out like this? And then the email ends with thanks. All right. Um, here's the answer. doesn't matter which lagging skill it is. And while you are enhancing skills when you engage kids in solving problems collaboratively and proactively, the lagging skill is not your primary focus. The expectations your daughter is having difficulty meeting, unsolved problems, are your primary focus. So it's actually possible that both of those lagging skills are contributing to the expectations your daughter is having difficulty meeting. And what that does is it helps you get the right lenses on. What I've been saying a lot lately is lagging skills are for lenses. Lagging skills help us stop saying things like Mm attention-seeking, manipulative, coercive, unmotivated, limit testing, blah, blah, blah. That's what lagging skills do for us. They help us see a kid through more humane, more accurate, more productive lenses. The problem is that when many people are checking off lagging skills, they are thinking that that skill that they just checked off needs to be taught explicitly. doesn't. Lagging skills are for lenses. What you're working on when you're doing this model is solving problems. Mm, Sounds like your daughter has many unsolved problems. Um, A lot of these are things you don't want her to be doing. So I'm not exactly positive how I would word many of the unsolved problems that, Mom, you gave us in these examples. But don't worry too much about the lagging skill. What you need is a list of the expectations your daughter is having difficulty meeting. So, for example, I just did think of one. Uh, what, What mom wrote here is buying a hamster without permission and hiding it from us and her boyfriend's parents. The unsolved problem would be difficulty asking permission before buying a hamster. That's the problem you're trying to solve with your daughter. Now, given all of these examples that you've written in, your daughter is doing many things um, covertly without your permission, Mom. Um, you're catching her a lot. Uh, we've got abruptly stopping her Prozac. I skipped that one. Difficulty taking Prozac would be the unsolved problem. Um, What we need to do is gather information from your daughter so we can find out what's hard for her about asking permission before buying a hamster, about taking her Prozac. Then, Mom, this is step number two. You're going to put your concerns on the table. And then step number three, you and your daughter are going to come up with solutions that work for both of you so that she doesn't have to keep doing stuff behind your back. Tim and Jennifer, we have a minute left for you both to comment if you wish. Either of you want to weigh in?
2: I think all I would say, because you covered everything I was thinking about, was that we talk a lot about how plan A does not breed honesty. And it sounds like that they've lived this and are experiencing it. And the good news is that plan B does breed honesty, but it might be a little bit of an uphill battle if a lot of plan A has been done. And so maybe some acknowledgement that we've done plan A about this in the past and we realize that it's not working and maybe making it worse and we're trying to do something do different with you, that might go a long way. Um, so that was just my only addition.
1: Jennifer, and the only, 30 seconds of wisdom.
0: The only other thing that I would add is that's a long list. Don't try to tackle everything at once because you won't get anywhere. Pick one. (laughs) Ask yourself, Mm -hmm. what's the hill I want to die on, and go with that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't love the metaphor, but um,
0: hopefully nobody's dying
1: (laughs) while they're doing plan B. But I I do think I get the point. Um, I also know that we are out of time. Thank you both, as always, for being part of the program today and for your wisdom. Let's do this again next month, shall we? Sounds good? Great.